so excited to be here this morning and continue to teach. So let's get moving along. We're in 1 John. Once again, to review, what is the burden of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John? Notice I didn't say what's John's burden. It is his burden, but it is a burden that has been given to him. So we want to make sure that we give the, what, what, the, uh, the, not the reference, the, the credit. Thank you a lot. I help. I'm glad you were up here. We want to give credit to the author with a big A. What is the burden of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John in 1 John? He wants to make sure that his people are growing in fellowship with one another. Because as they fellowship with one another in the love of God, they are fellowshipping with God in his love. Amen? This is a reciprocal work. In other words, it goes both ways. To be in fellowship with God means that we are in fellowship with one another. And why are we in fellowship with God? Because of the love of God, we have been brought into his fellowship to experience and express that love toward God as it is then expressed toward us and the believers. Do we see the connection here? There is an irrevocable, inseparable connection between the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to God. We cannot say we love God and yet, and I'm jumping ahead of myself into another verse, and have real difficulty in caring for one another. We may think we can, but in God's sight, he'll tell you, Nathan, that ain't me. That is not I. Is it correct? But God can use the grammar a little incorrectly occasionally. So that's what we've been dealing, dealing with. And last week, we, well, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that John gives three tests of how we know we're relating to God and one another, how we can be assured of our salvation. If someone were to ask you, how do you know you're saved? Now, think about it. Hold on. How do you know you're saved? If each one of you were to ask, I were to ask, sit individually with you. I want you to tell me how you know you're saved. And you cannot reference the day that you were born again. You know, when you received Christ, when you prayed, you cannot reference that because that is not a biblical proof of salvation. It's not a biblical proof. I mean, what can I say, Ronnie? The writers of the New Testament don't give it to us. Evangelists give it to us. Pastors give it to us. This pastor isn't. But the Bible doesn't. That doesn't mean that because uh, when you prayed or when you received Christ, Adam, it doesn't mean that you were not saved, but it's not a what? Proof. There are three proofs. There's a moral proof. That we're walking in obedience, and we've been discussing that. That we are relating to one another. 
through that same kind of obedience that we express to God. And then there is the doctrinal proof that we haven't gotten to yet. That's the way we can know whether we are in him. So I encourage you that as we go through these studies, do what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says. I mean, you can put some of these references in your notes because they're not all in your notes. And I don't like it when we just sit here and listen. Write things down. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul has been speaking to the church, to believers. And at the end of this second letter, he says, look, examine yourselves, what? To see whether you're saved. What do you mean I'm not? I, I remember walking the aisle a few days ago, and I remember I've been giving money to the church, and I've been a member of that church. No. No. Those are not the proofs. They may be indicators, but an indicator is not a proof. Are you with me today? Is, that a, is there a distinction? Yeah. I answered four questions on the test correctly. That's an indication of something. But that was only four right out of 2,000. <laughs> well, so you didn't do well. You understand this. So last week we saw that the moral test of our salvation has to do with our obedience to God's word as authenticated when we walk in the love of God just as Jesus walked. Is that statement in the beginning of your notes? Is that statement in your notes? Hmm? The moral test, the proof, the moral proof of our salvation has to do with our obedience to God's word. As authenticated. How do I know I'm in God's word? How do I know I'm obedient to God's word? As authenticated when we are walking in the love of God. As Jesus walked. Now you see I've restated verse 6 of chapter 2 in there. Some of you may recognize that. This is critical. This is critical. This is like we're in the English class that I used to teach and we're getting to the final exam. And the final exam, either you pass it or you don't. And if you don't pass, you don't get out of high school. And I'm telling you, you have to know this in order to pass the exam. Everybody, okay, because I need to pass the final exam. In essence, the moral test has God as its object. Do we see that? Are you with me this morning? Now, this morning we'll start talking about the relational test. They're over here, Paul. The relational test. John now turns his attention to the relational test, which has the church as its object. First, God is the object. Amen? Then, the church then is I'm going to say is the object after God or the indirect object. I've talked about this before. God is the object of the sentence. God is the verb. God is the direct object. And we are the indirect object. 
So let's be careful when we're talking about what God has done and how we are walking with him and how we're saved and when we're saved. Let's make sure we don't put ourselves up in the front of the sentence. Amen? Because that's not correct spiritual grammar. (laughs) John is about to tell us that the way we judge if we're walking as Jesus walked. Okay, I'm going to be walking as Jesus walked. I think I'm doing that. Why? Well, because I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't, don't, don't. Nope. That's not the way. Those are indicators. But the proof that we know we are walking in the word of God, in the love of God, as Jesus walked, the proof of that, which is now the relational proof, is how are we relating to the people of God? Do you see how John is weaving it? Do you see how it's moving along? The relational proof has to do with how we relate to one another. Are we walking as Jesus walked as we relate to one another the same way Jesus related to us? Now stop for a moment. I think actually it's easier to stay away from getting drunk, from gambling, from whatever, than it is easier to walk with some of you people the way Jesus walked and helped me, minister to me. Do you agree with what I'm saying here? Look, there are in this class some real contrary, cantankerous people. Right, Bo? Bo, raise your hand so everybody knows who I pointed out. That's Bo. (laughs) There's some real problems in this class. Some of you people have problems. Some of you people are just downright difficult to get along with. Some of you people I don't like. I don't like your attitude. You bother me. I don't like what you do, where you go, and how you do it. It's how can I relate to someone like that with the same kindness and mercy and gentleness and patience and forbearance and faithfulness and forgiveness that Jesus relates to me. That's more difficult than staying away from alcohol if I am addicted to it or from drugs or from cursing, or from doing anything. This is the most impossible life we can live in ourselves. Can you say amen? This is where the impossibility of the Christian life lies. And yet, this is what God says. If you say you love me with the same love with which I have loved you, the proof of that and the expression of that is that you will love even the most cantankerous person in the church. Warren, are you listening to me? With the very same love with which you are loved by me. 
Now, that's impossible in myself. Now, let's be real. I never did. I don't like too much fake. I mean, look at the face. Do you see anything on here that's not natural? Isn't that the problem? How many of you, and, and please raise your hands. I would like to know. I'm taking notes this morning. How many of you have had disagreements or difficulties with any of the pastors? Only about four of you? Oh, come on, come on, come on. Any difficulties, disagreements with the pastors, what we say, how we think? <laughs> let, me give you, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of... Let me give you an example of confessing sin. Darlene said she did it. <laughs> That's confessing sin. She did it. I didn't do it. She raised two hands. I didn't. She did. Do you, do you see how the word of God is so vibrant and working among us? Now, here's my thought about that. I may not get through this today. Here's my thought about that. Let's say you have a major, come on in, Miss Linda. Let's say you have a major problem with me. Let's say you do. Okay? The question is for me personally, first, not my feeling about the problem or my reaction to the problem. But that's what we do, isn't it? We react and we defend and we criticize and we get frustrated and we get hurt and we get whatever. And I'm going to kill myself over here. <laughs> do you see it? And when I do that, I am making me the issue rather than the real issue is God. The first thing that comes to your mind is something about me. Frustration, anger, hurt, bitterness. You don't like me. You don't try. Are you with me? Is anybody exempt from this? And yet the real issue is not about me, is it? It's about God. So the first thing that should come into my mind is this. Father. What is it about the lack of your love in me and through me that is creating the possibility of that reaction? Now, notice I didn't say the action. I said what? The possibility because Jesus loved and they hated him. But we always start where? With me. Always start with me and God. God in me then I am allowed by the Holy Spirit to hear his voice so he can talk to me about him and me. Those are objective. That's right pronouns. He can talk to us about him, himself, and myself. And then I can receive from him what the issue really is. And then, hopefully, I can respond in a way 
that God has so kindly and mercifully, so patiently responded to me. No retaliation, but a response of loving care, even in the worst situation. Because in my life, the worst situation has not been what I have experienced from others, but how I have acted in dishonoring God. Are you with me today? That's the worst situation. Relating to one another, caring for one another, ministering to one another, forbearing with one another. And, and I might admit to you, I struggle in this area. It's in the natural, the most difficult fight I fight. It is in the natural, the most difficult struggle that I have. It's relating to you people in the same way <laughs> that God has related to me. Is the Holy Spirit saying anything to anybody this morning? I feel this is God saying this. If you will allow me to say that, as an empty vessel has nothing in himself, and the only good thing that comes out of it is the word of the Holy Spirit. So John says this, Beloved, I'm not writing a new command, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the contrary, I'm writing a new command to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So I'm not going to go through all the details here, but John is letting them know, look, I'm writing something new to you. But it ain't new because it's old. But why, is it, why, why does he say it's old, but it's new. Well, it's a command that's been around since the very beginning, so it's old. But it's new because we are now, for the first time as believers, what? Experiencing the reality of the command. Can you say amen? So verse 9 11. What is this command that's so new and old? Whoever says he's in the light, whoever says I'm saved, I'm a child of God, I walked the aisle, I said yes to Jesus. I'm going to say it wrong. I gave my heart to Jesus. That's impossible. We don't give anything to Jesus. We receive everything from him. Even though many evangelists and whatever use that term, I, I just don't like it. Why? Because it puts me, I'm going to do something that I'm going to give and I'm going to make it. No way, honey child. No way, Jose. I am not at the head of this line. I am not the subject of the sentence. God is the subject. John says this. How do you know? You're in the light. You say you're in the light and you hate your brother who's still in the darkness hate your brother the word hate here and I'm kind of in a general way Jesus remember said if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father mom and them and so on he cannot be my disciple well, we're not supposed to hate one another we're supposed to what love one another it's a comparison thing 
in relation to your love for me, every other love is hatred. Do you see how he's absolutely disassociating his kind of love from worldly love? Are you with me today? The way you love me is as if it is hate loving with your own love. You see that? If you're not loving with my love, it's as if it's hate. Because loving someone outside of the love of God is hating God. Loving someone outside of the love of God is hating God. Loving someone outside the love of God is hating God. That's right. That's exactly right. So what's the answer? Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. How do you know you're in the light? How do you know you're obedient? How do you know that obedience is in the word of God? How do you know that obedience is in the love of God? How do you know that obedience is your walking as Christ walked? How do you know all that? The loving the brethren, you abide in the light. And in him there is no cause of stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, in other words, does not love with God's love. Whoever does that is in the darkness. Not is, he is in darkness. He is dark. These are the unsaved and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because he's the, dark, the darkness is blinding his eyes. This is the relational test that determines whether or not we are in the light. Our loving one another with the love of God. Didn't say loving one another. See, I, I don't like when it comes to theology, loose language. I used to remember this. The Bible says if you love God, you will love the brethren in the back for And, you know, I didn't understand that. I mean, well, how does that work? What is that? The word love here is what word in the Greek? What word is it? I think it's in your notes, isn't it? I may not be tending to the exact location of my notes. It's agape. Is it in here? Have I missed it? Is that next week? Listen, no, it's here, but okay, whatever. So let me, let me do this. The relational test, how do you know, how do you know you're obedient to God? When you're walking in the love of God, when you're walking as Jesus walked, how do you know that's, how do you know you're doing that? Bridget, how do you know you're walking as Jesus walked? Not perfectly, but how do you know the character of your life is you're walking as Jesus walked? How do you know it? When you're loving one another in the church in the same way Jesus loves you. When you're responding with the love of God rather than retaliating. When you're caring with God's care. When you're ministering with God's ministry. When you're patient. When you're kind. When you're gentle. That's the litmus test to determine First of all, whether or not I am in Christ, 
And secondly, the level of my maturity in Christ. Two things. First of all, am I saved? And secondly, if I am saved, if I can say, yeah, this is a character of my life, then not to what extent are you saved, but what is the maturity level of your salvation, if you would? What stage, if you would, of growth are you? So this is the Greek word agape. Yeah, it's in my notes. Some of y'all don't see it. It's not in yours. A-G-A-P-E. It's agape. So this is what John says. Whoever agapeo, that's the verb. Whoever agapeo his brother. Agape has to do, and we did this, remember, when God is love series. We took about 2,000 years to do that. You remember that series? This is God's personal love. This is God's unique personal love. This love exists only in one place, in God himself. And it is shared with those who belong to God. Only those who are of God can receive or have received his agape and can now live in the midst of and out of and express that agape to one another as well as to God. Are we getting this? Do we see this, how it works? This relational test of the genuineness of our obedience is our loving one another with Jesus' own agape. This is the new and old commandment. You remember in John 13, Jesus was with the disciples and he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I, or in the very same way as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another with my love. This is the only way the glory of God is manifested in us the way God wants his glory to be manifested. We talk and we should a lot about the glory of God. I think that is the absolute end purpose of God to declare how absolutely incredible, awesome, wonderful he is. But how does he do it? He does it in a people upon whom he has set his relational love, that love that exists within the Trinity among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That love, he sets it in us so that we become the living corporate love of God in Christ. That we are the living corporate love of God in Christ. And in that is his glory manifested. He is shown to be holy. Why? Other than he's absolutely unique. Absolutely pure and without fault. To put that love in us and then to grow or generate the fruit of that love in us is absolutely without any reality of the natural. It, it just, it's way beyond the natural. It doesn't make sense. It's audacious. This is the kind of God we have.
You see, God is not demanding of his people that they do something for him, but that they be someone in and with him, walking in and with him. We're not working for God. We're working, walking what? With God. We are joining, as Blackaby says in his book, we are joining God in his walk and work. Amen? There's just a whole lot of terms in Christendom that I don't like because I think they can create confusion, misunderstanding. And if we're not careful, a level of works righteousness where I think I have to start doing something. And all of this is done as we are imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus said in Acts 1.18, wait until you receive power. What? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember that? Power for what? Power to walk in his love as he walked. Not power for evangelism because walking in his walk is evangelism. Not power for teaching because walking in his walk will be teaching. Not power for all of these other issues, but the base is walking in him, with him, in his own love. And all this other stuff are the results of it. They're the fruit on the tree, don't you see? We ought not to and we must not make those things primary or either on the same level as we're making this. This is the root. We can evangelize all day long and all night long. But if we're not doing in love, what does the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I have not love, what? Dang, 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 dong, 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 dong. Do you remember that? He said it's all worth nothing to God. Yeah, but I'm out on the street every day ministering. Well, great. Are you doing it in the love of God, for the love of God, about the love of God, from the love of God? You remember this when Jesus was asked by the lawyer in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said, you feel better? Okay. Do you remember? Well, I mean, I hope she does. The lawyer came up to be justified. Well, what's the greatest commandment? Because there were debates. And there's still debates. This debate is still going on in Christendom. How do we relate to those people out there? How do we relate to that issue that way? I struggle with this like the rest of you do. So Jesus says, you want to know what the great commandment is? He truncates Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Deuteronomy 5, he quotes, and you shall what? said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. But there is an understanding in Judaism, which we don't know. It, we're not aware of it. We don't know what it is. The great command, Jesus is talking about at the expression of the great command. The great command is what? 
Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohanu, Adonai Chad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the great commandment. But then he doesn't stop. He gives you a second commandment, and the, the man only asked him for one. So Jesus is going to give you the second half of the one. You see? Deuteronomy what? Quotes from Deuteronomy 19, 18. You need to know this. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't command you to love yourself. That's stupid. Love your neighbor. The way you're loving God is expressed in the way you're loving one another. You see, Al, Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy, which gets you all the way back to the most famous verse in all Scripture. Right? Bereshit, Barah, Elohim. In the beginning, God. The greatest verse and the most comprehensive verse in all the Bible. What is it? Genesis 1-1. Why? Because everything that follows is a result of that. Are you with me today? You see, these are the same commandments that John has given the church. Jesus gives it in John 13. He, if you would, I don't want to say reduces it as not important, but he cap encapsulates it or he synthesizes it. What is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 and Leviticus 19, 18? What is it? Love one another as I have loved you. Why can he say that? Why, Floyd? Because he is the God of Israel in the flesh. Amen? And loving him is loving one another by the same spirit. Because God is not, what do you call it, a, when you have two personalities in the same body, a schizophrenic or split personality or whatever it is. When we agapeo, agapeo is the verb of agape. When we agapeo one another, we are walking in the agape of God. It is impossible to agape God without agaping the children of God. Now, you remember this. I remember this. We have to remember this. So for a moment, think about people in your life. Think about others right now. And bring to mind a couple of folks that you're really having some. <laughs> Can you think of a few? Can you think of some? She's looking at me and yelling, you know, nodding. <laughs> Someone asked my wife to look the other way. Think about, think about someone, even one in the church that you have. <laughs> you have some. <laughs> well, you just don't know. I may not, but God does. Oh, you agapeo with God's agape. That's redundant, I know, but it's okay. Think about issues in the church, the way things are being done. 
the direction that we're going. You may have some theological differences. Okay, that's great. It isn't, but you know, it, it's, it's okay. But the way you handle them is not great. The way I react to them and re respond to them may not be great. It may be more satanic. As I hold up the inviability of the word of God and the way we should be living as Christians, I am then acting satanically, assaulting it because I don't go with it the way they do. Are you with me today? Anybody here? Hey, Cammie, how you feel, girl? So let me end this way. Consider the relationship between obedience to the law and the walking in God's love. Somebody turn to Romans 13 quickly. Come on. Saw drill. Remember saw drill years ago? Someone, yeah, Romans 13. That's in the New Testament. It's the second to the last before Revelation. Genesis, Matthew, Exodus, and Leviticus. Somebody have Romans 13? Raise your hand if you do. Now, go to verse 8. Someone go to verse 8, and who can read verses 8 to 10. Listen carefully to verses 8 to 10. Romans 13, 8 to 10. Listen carefully. Somebody stand and read it out. Come on. Somebody stand. It's okay. It's a Pentecostal church. Somebody stand up and read it. Wait, wait. Stand up and read it so we can hear you. Read that last sentence loudly, brother. I didn't hear you, Donnie. You want to fulfill the law? You want to obey the law? You see how it is? Paul's telling the Romans this. He says, love one another with the same love with which you have been loved. That fulfills the law. That fulfills it. Relating to others in the love of God is the fulfillment of all the commands of the law. To walk in God's love proves we belong to God because only those who belong to God can love with God's love. Amen? Next week, we'll continue the journey. Thank you.